Well, good morning. Thank you, band. You guys always do an awesome job. We really appreciate uh, Brittany and uh, a few of the others stepping in this morning uh, while Troy is gone. And um, man, it's always a, a blessing to have them back. Uh, for, um, for many of you, you don't know, but uh, some, of the, some of the people who were on stage this morning actually used to be in our student ministry, and they used to be in our youth band. And so it's always a joy to see uh, them leading in worship, um, to go from being ninth and 10th grade students leading their peers to being uh, on stage leading you guys. That's an awesome thing. So uh, we definitely appreciate you guys. Uh, well, before we begin, allow me to uh, just quickly uh, introduce myself. I know there's people in this room um, who are not familiar with me. You don't have a clue who I am. So uh, let me just quickly introduce myself. My name is Reed, and I am one of the pastors here at Northside. Most of what I do is behind the scenes, so you might see me around, but you probably don't see me on stage much. Uh, but uh, as Scott is uh, on uh, a mission trip right now in India, he's asked me to fill in for him this morning while he's away, and I'm grateful for the opportunity uh, to share God's Word with you this morning. I'm always uh, grateful for the chance to be here, but it's definitely a pleasure uh, to be able to stand on stage and, uh, and preach. Well, guys, as we begin our time today, I want to ask you uh, just a very simple question uh, as we get started, and it's this. Has there ever been a time in your life that you have done something just terribly stupid? Anybody ever been there before? That's right. Every hand goes up. The wives are elbowing their husbands right now. Might have happened uh, on the way to church this morning. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure that you, right now you're thinking of whatever that is. And listen, I'm not talking about a mistake that you've made. I'm saying you knew what the right thing to do was. You chose not to do it. And then you had a price to pay. I think that uh, everybody here um, has, uh, in one way or another, knows what I'm talking about. I think we've all been there. I know this is especially true for me. Uh, When I was a teenager, I did a lot of stupid stuff in my truck. They got me in a lot of trouble. And uh, uh, it's uh, just so you know, I'm probably uh, one of the safest drivers on the road now. uh, So you don't have to worry. Uh, But this was not the case when I was a teenager. When I was a teenager, it was very common uh, for me to see blue lights in the rearview mirror. Uh, for various reasons. It was probably a modern-day miracle that I didn't lose my license in high school. I was right there on the edge with all the points that I had. Uh, But before all the moms freak out and don't ever let their kids get on the church bus with me again, I can can assure you uh, I have not had a ticket in 13 years, so I'm doing good. Uh, Nothing to be concerned about. I've definitely slowed down a lot, and it's primarily been because of three things, okay? Number one, uh, when I got out of college and had to start paying the state farm bill, uh, that right there slowed me down. I realized real quick uh, that those points cost me money. Uh, number two was when I got married about 10 years ago. That's when I uh, realized, hey, I got somebody who wants me to come home at the end of the day, so I slowed down even more. Uh, but this last one is the one that I think really got me. This is the one that, uh, that really caused me um, to be the world's safest driver, and is that's uh, when we started having kids. And I don't know about y'all, but that absolutely freaked me out. Uh, for those of you, um, many, many of you know, uh, we used to live in Louisville, Kentucky, and that's where our uh, firstborn uh, was born. And so uh, he was born up there in January, and it was, uh, it was snowing. There was snow on the ground. And so when we were leaving the hospital, uh, man, I just remember, I was, a, I was a nervous wreck. He was born three weeks early, so he was super small. Uh, we put him in the back of the car, and I just remember driving home, which we only lived like two miles from the hospital, but I was a nervous wreck. I'm holding on to the steering wheel. Everybody around me is, uh, is an enemy of mine now, uh, and I'm driving like a grandma. You know, I'm just, it's, it's one of those moments for me. So all that to say, I'm a safe driver now, but this wasn't always the case 
Um, in fact, I remember a time when I was in high school, when I was coming home from one of my friend's house, and um, I'm on the way home, I'm running late, I had somewhere to be, and I approach this four-way intersection um, that I come to all the time. And, and before I even tell you the story, I need to go ahead and let you know, this four-way stop sign made no sense, okay? Like, you need to know that on the front end. Uh, you have to understand uh, my point, because my point's the right point. So, uh, so as I'm approaching this intersection, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking, this is the dumbest four-way stop on the planet, right? Like, it would have made sense for there to be a two-way stop, but the direction that I'm going should not have had to stop. It's a back road that I was aware of that, that helped me avoid some of Atlanta's traffic. And, uh, and so by taking this way, I was, it kind of cuts you through a, a small neighborhood. But I was very familiar with it. I had some friends that lived in that neighborhood. I knew where I was going. And I knew that there's never anybody who came from the other direction, like ever. So this particular day, I'm in a hurry. And as I approach this intersection, I thought to myself, man, I don't have time for this. Like, I am running way late, so I'm not even going to stop. And listen, I just blew straight through this intersection. And as I did, I looked to the left, and about 100 yards down the road, uh, there's a cop sitting on the side of the road looking at the intersection. And I thought, dang, <laughs> this is one of those moments where, you know, listen, I have, uh, I have been through this intersection um, for real probably about a million times, and I had stopped at that stop sign a million times. But the one day that I'm running late and decide to just blow through this thing without even slowing down, that's the one day that there's a cop there. So what do I do? Like every man in the same situation, I quickly begin to weigh my options, right? I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do. And so option number one, and this was a real option for me. Uh, you're about to see some of my depravity as a teenager. Uh, but option number one for me was to run, uh, just so you guys uh, know. That was a very real option for me in that moment. As a 17-year-old, um, it would not have been the first time. And uh, so the neighborhood that I'm in uh, had a lot of side roads, and there were about 10 ways out of this neighborhood. And man, I knew where I was going. And listen, I already had a head start on the cop because he wasn't moving and I was flying, right? I didn't even slow down at the stop sign. So I thought to myself, well, maybe I'll just cut right here and then left there, take, take a couple, couple more turns, and then I'm out, and he's not going to be able to find me. The risk, though, is if I get caught, not only am I going to lose my license, uh, but I'm going to probably also get arrested. Option number two, do I just keep driving? and maybe hope that he didn't see me, right? Like, maybe I went so fast. That, no, I'm just kidding. No, it wasn't that bad. But maybe he, had his, maybe he had his head down and he's doing some paperwork. Maybe he's not even in the car. Maybe he's like handling something at somebody's house and it's just his car on the side of the road. And so maybe I'm, I'm freaking out for no reason. Maybe if I just continue on my journey, I'll be okay. But I didn't choose that option either. I actually went with option number three, which... Uh, I really I had this genius plan. I thought, man, this is going to work out. I, I was completely confident that this would work in my favor. And so here's what I decided to do. I decided to pull myself over. So here's what I did. I just went ahead. I was like, man, I'm busted. Pulled over on the side of the road, put my truck in park, turned it off, rolled the window down, just sat there. And about five seconds later, he came flying around the corner with his lights on, siren on full blast, like he is ready to go. And then, of course, he sees me, like, at the bottom of the hill. I'm already stopped. So he, he pulls up behind me. He turns off his lights and his siren. And he gets out of his car, and he's laughing. And he walks up to my window, and he says, well, that wasn't any fun. I thought I was going to have He said, I thought I was going to have to chase you. And so I smiled, and I said, well, officer, since I didn't make you chase me, since I pulled myself over, are you going to be nice to me today and just let me go with a warning? And, of course, he responded with, absolutely not. You didn't even slow down. 
And he's like, I need your license and registration, and you are going to get a ticket today. So my plan had failed. Uh, I had figured that by pulling myself over, by uh, kind of punishing myself, I, I thought that maybe I had, uh, would gain a little bit of favor with the officer. Maybe he would show me a, a little bit of mercy, but no, he did not. I don't even know how I'm friends with people like Chris Hefner now, but uh, I am. Um, but instead, I got hit with a very expensive ticket. I got hit with uh, even more points of my license, which I really could not afford to get at that time. And uh, he even wrote real big on my ticket, did not even slow down. And I, of course, had to answer for that, too. On my court day, uh, I had to explain to the judge why I thought it was okay to not slow down. So uh, as a result of my dumb decision, I had a price to pay. I knew that the right thing was to stop at this stop sign, and I chose to blow through it, and as a result, I got hit with a, a very expensive ticket. So it cost me. And so even though I tried to fix things on my own, it didn't matter. There was still a very real consequence for my actions. And guys, I think that if we're honest, this is the problem with all of us. I think that every single one of us in here can relate to this story in one way or another. Even if your story does not involve you know, a four-way stop and a cop and pulling yourself over, you can still relate in one way or another because you've been in the exact same situation where you have done something stupid, you chose to not do what was right. So you knew this is the right thing to do and you chose to do something else and as a result of your decision, you paid a price for your rebellion. We've all been there. And so every single one of us makes dumb decisions like this, and this has actually been the problem for the human race since the beginning of time. And that is actually what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, today, uh, we are going to take a look at the very first time uh, that this happened. We're going to take a look at the very first couple that God put on the planet, and uh, we are going to see how they did the exact same thing. They knew what was right, chose to do something else, and then they paid a serious price for their rebellion. And so this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be taking a look at the fall of mankind. Many of you have probably heard this passage a thousand times, and uh, you've either heard it in Sunday school or Bible study, or uh, maybe you've even heard it uh, preached many times, which is awesome. Um, some of you, this might be the very first time you hear this message. And if that's the case, listen, we are super excited that you're here and that you get to hear it for the first time with us. Uh, but either way, guys, my hope for us today is very simple. I want us today to see the gospel in the garden. And that is actually the title for today's sermon as well. So you will have a, a bulletin uh, with some fill-in-the-blanks uh, where you can kind of follow along with what we're doing. Uh, but today we're going to be uh, seeing the gospel in the garden. And guys, my goal today is to show you that it was God's plan from the very beginning of time to save a people who were in need of a Savior. So this morning we're going to be in Genesis 3, uh, but for us to properly understand what's going on, we're actually going to start a little bit uh, back in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be starting at Genesis 2 verse 15. Um, let me encourage you to follow along with us in the Bible app if you have that with you. Uh, in fact, if you want to do this, um, at the bottom of your Bible app, there's the bottom right icon you can click on that says more. 
and then you can click on events, and you can check in uh, with our live service that we have to where you'll see uh, all of the points, you'll see all the scripture, everything's in there for you, you can just follow right along, so it's super easy. So click on more, click on events, click on north side, and you'll be right there, you'll be able to, to see what's going on. But if you don't have the Bible app with you, if you don't have a smartphone, uh, you can use that Pew Bible that's in right in front of you as well. We'll be starting on page two. But before we jump into Scripture, let me just go ahead and give you our first point. And uh, so this is in your handout right there, and it's number one, God gave clear instructions, and he expected obedience. All right, let's take a look at Genesis chapter two, and let's start at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they, became, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And as we begin our time together this morning, I think that we can all agree with the very first point in our, in our sermon today, which was God gave clear instructions, and he expected obedience, like we just saw it in this passage. The instructions were you can eat from any tree in this garden that you want, except for one. And he expected that Adam and Eve would obey. That is the expectation. So let's go ahead and jump into chapter 3. This is where the trouble begins. Um, and I wanted you to hear first, though, those verses in chapter 2 because they really set this up for you guys to understand what's happening. So here it is, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. All right, so let me go ahead and just pause real quick for a moment. Let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. Um, there are a couple of times in Scripture uh, where animals talk, and this is one of them. Uh, for all the people who have kind of grown up in church or been Christians for a really long time, uh, this doesn't even phase them anymore. They hear stuff like this, and they just go with it because they've heard this story since they were like four years old in VBS, and it's like it's normal to them. However, I also recognize there are people who are new to church, and so if this is you and you're hearing this for the very first time, you're probably thinking to yourself, what in the world just happened? Did a snake just talk? And yes, a snake just talked. So, uh, for the sake of time, just go with it. Um, if you're really struggling with whether or not that's possible, uh, just talk to me out at the service. We can discuss it in further detail. Um, but I want you to notice here. Notice what happens. The serpent didn't go to Adam. Even though Adam is the one who actually heard the instructions from God. No, the serpent went to Eve, who was not even 
created yet. Let me go ahead and remind you of what verse 15 through 18 says um, in uh, chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take, and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then the next verse says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So Eve was not even created yet when the instructions were given. So how did she know about it? Well, I think that we can correctly assume that Adam told her since he is the only other person on the planet at this time, right? And, uh, and it looks like as well that he gave her some additional rules. Look at what she says to the serpent um, in verse 2. So the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. So clearly, Adam added in this extra part about, and you must not touch it, because that was not in the original instructions from God. So even though their conversation is not recorded for us, I think it's safe for us to at least make the assumption that when he was telling her, it's probably like, oh yeah, by the way, there's this one tree over there. We're not supposed to eat from it. Better yet, don't even touch it. Okay, he probably just went ahead and just gave her some additional instructions. So it's probably safe to assume that Adam is the one who added in that extra part about not even touching it. But guys, just as a word of caution, let me just, let me just quickly address this. Guys, we need to be careful when we do that. What God says is sufficient. Because we should not be so quick to add our own rules on top of God's rules. And our denomination, if we are honest, is guilty of this on multiple issues. And guys, and we have a decision to make, right? Like if we believe that God's word is sufficient, then what right do we have to add to it? Because when we do that, we are no better than the legalistic Pharisees who did the exact same thing. They made up unbiblical rules and then they demanded obedience. So back to our story. So how did the serpent respond? Verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now let me ask you, did the serpent lie? It's kind of a trick question, isn't it? Like so he starts off with the lie, but then he finishes it with the truth. Verse 4 is, is clearly a lie. It's exactly opposite of what God commanded and, and explained when he was given the instructions. God made it very clear that if they eat from the tree, they will die. And then the serpent comes along and says, you're not going to die. But then in verse 5, he actually tells the truth. By eating from this tree, their eyes would be opened. And like God, they would know good and evil. So it was a lie with just enough truth in it to make it believable. So what happens next? Most of us already know the story. Uh, As you know, Adam and Eve fail. They were given very clear instructions on what they need to do. And here they are instead holding the one fruit in their hand that they knew they were not allowed to eat. And they're getting ready to take a bite. And and, and, And as soon as they do, what happens next Um, is something that can never be undone. They disobeyed God, and as a result, sin enters the world. And so that is your second point. Number two, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and their rebellion allowed sin to enter the world. All right, verse six. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now notice here that it wasn't just that the, the, the fruit looked good. It's that they believed the lie from the serpent that they were going to now be like God. They didn't like the idea that God knew more than them. They didn't like the idea that God um, was kind of giving them special rules. They felt like God was holding them back, and they didn't like that. So rather than trusting their creator, they ate the fruit, and the rebellion has now infected our world with sin. And sorry, guys, I know that we like to, to joke all the time that uh, Eve is the one at fault, right? You know, she's the one who fell for the lie. She's the one who ate the fruit first. Uh, you know, leave it to a woman to mess things up, right? Like we've all heard the jokes a thousand times. We've all told the jokes. But did you see how verse 6 ends? She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. She didn't have to go find him. She was not by herself. She did not have to go track him down somewhere else in the garden. Adam was right there with her. And what's worse, he didn't say a word and he even participated. He jumped right in and said, let me have a bite as well. And they both are at fault for this, right? However, I do want to, to make something, um, uh, I, I want to point out something that I think is interesting. Even though they both sinned in the garden, um, do you know who's actually held responsible for the sin in the garden? It's actually Adam. Um, even though he did not eat first, uh, he is the one who received the instructions from God, and he's the one who is actually held responsible for it. You don't have to turn there, uh, but just listen to what's explained in Romans chapter 5. Uh, if you're following along in the uh, Bible app, you'll have this passage right here. But starting in verse 12 of Romans 5, it says this. When Adam sinned, not when Eve sinned, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because, of one, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. So guys, in this passage, we see in Romans 5 that it's actually Adam who is held responsible. Again, he's the one who received the instructions from God. Eve was not even created yet. However, let's don't, I don't want you to mishear me. Eve definitely sinned, uh, but it's Adam who is the one who is held responsible. Number three, they tried to cover up their shame and even tried to hide. All right, verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So at this point, Adam and Eve knew that they had really messed up. This sin that they had just committed has has now for the first time in human history has caused them to feel shame. This has never been been felt before. They didn't know what this was. But now as a result of their sin, they now feel shame. And as a result, they felt that this shame needed to be covered. Do you remember how chapter 2 just ended? We just read this in verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That is over now. They feel shame. And as a result of this sin, they now feel the need to be clothed. So look at what they do. They cover themselves up uh, by sewing fig leaves together uh, to hide their bodies. And then after that, they actually try to hide from God. So not only are they trying to, to hide their shame, but they're trying to hide themselves. But as they quickly found out, it is impossible to hide from God. Look at what verse 9 says. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was a naked So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now let me quickly address these questions from God because I don't want us to to misunderstand what just happened here. Um, God is all-knowing. We see this from the beginning of Scripture all the way through the end of Scripture. So I know that it's easy to read this as if God is asking questions to gain knowledge. That's not what he's doing right here. When he asks Adam, Where are you? He already knows where he is. And when he asks, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? He already knows that they both have. So why is he asking this? Well, the best way for us to understand this is he's asking Adam to answer for what he's done. He's giving him an opportunity to confess what he's done. And guys, don't we do this all the time with our own kids? Like, this is not foreign to us. We do this as well. Like, you walk into the room and your kids are doing something stupid. And the first thing you say is, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Right? Like, we know what they're doing. We just saw, you know, one kid, like, punch the other kid. Like, we know what they're doing. We don't have to ask. But we ask anyway to bring attention to their actions and to make them own up to it. And that's exactly what God is doing right here with Adam. So he knows what's happened, but he's still going to ask these questions to put Adam on the hot seat. And as you might expect, uh, immediately they do what we all try to do, and that's to shift blame. And that's what they start to do. Look at verse 12. The man said, The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And now they're out of people to blame because it's the beginning of time and creation just started, right? Like there's nobody else to blame. And so the blame game ends uh, after like two seconds. Uh, But listen, they have realized in this moment that they have screwed up big time. 
They are standing before a holy God. And for the first time in human history, they learn that there is a price to pay for sin. Number four, there were consequences for their rebellion that are still felt today. And for the rest of chapter three, we actually get to see what these consequences are. Verse 14 says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And guys, right here we begin to get the very first glimpse of the gospel. It just It's beginning now. So in verse 15, we see that God is going to put enmity or hostility or hatred between the serpent and the woman. And look at how uh, this verse ends. It explains that the serpent is going to strike the heel, but he, singular, one of Eve's offspring, is going to crush the serpent's head. So yeah, you're going to strike at him, but one of Eve's offspring is going to crush you. To the woman, verse 16, to the woman he says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, I do want to address a couple of things here. Uh, first, regarding the pain in childbearing, this is not just talking about the physical act of delivering a child. God is not just saying, you know, hey, sorry, you know, Eve, since you messed up, all women from now on, when they start to push, it's going to hurt a little bit more. Uh, even though, listen, that very well may be part of the curse. Um, but rather than talking about the actual act of delivering a child, this passage is actually referring to something much bigger. It's referring to the entire process of bringing a child into this world. Let me give you just two quick examples uh, for you to help. I want to help you understand what I'm talking about. So according to medical research, approximately 40% of all pregnancies end in miscarriage. This, of course, includes a situation uh, where the mother did not even know that she was pregnant because it happened so early in the pregnancy. But still, if the medical research is correct, then approximately 40% ended miscarriages. Another one for you. According to medical research, one in six couples are unable to have children on their own. And although some do end up going on to have their own children, it's not without medical help and extremely expensive treatment. And you have to keep in mind that this medical treatment has not been uh, available for most of human history. For thousands and thousands of years, uh, couples that struggled with infertility had nowhere to turn. So when you read in Genesis chapter 3, where God says that I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, and with painful labor you will give birth to children, this is what it's talking about talking about the entire process. So at one time, this was not the case. But now, as a result of the sin in the garden, there is going to be pain and heartbreak as you try to expand your family and bring kids into this world. Second, I want to address the end of verse 16, uh, where it says that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And uh, so guys, let me, uh, let me just go ahead and say before you get too excited, uh, this is not talking about a sexual desire. Um, God is not saying, Eve, as a result of your sin, all women are now going to be constantly sexually attracted to their husbands. 
uh, because if that was the case, that wouldn't be much of a curse, and we would have seen right after this that Adam would have jumped up and high-fived God, right? And that's not what happens. And so uh, what God is saying here is that the woman is going to desire the place of authority that God has given men. By design, men are supposed to be leaders. And guys, we see this throughout the entire Bible. The Bible teaches male headship in the home and in the church. This is called complementarianism. And so basically it means that men and women are equal in value, but they have different roles. The Bible even teaches in Ephesians 5 that husbands are supposed to be godly leaders and their wives are are supposed to submit to their husband's godly leadership. So as, uh, as, as, as Christ is going this way, the husband is following Christ, and then the wife is submitting to her husband's godly leadership as he follows Christ. That is the picture that we see in Ephesians 5. But as a result of what took place in Genesis 3, this is now going to be a challenge in the home. As a result of the sin in the garden, women are going to desire this position of authority, but God is not going to grant it to them. And finally, we get to Adam in verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree of which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat fruit from it or eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, to dust you are, and to dust you will return. So guys, listen, as a result of Adam sinning, the ground has now been cursed. What was once easy is now going to be difficult. God's saying, listen, you're going to still be able to feed your family, but it's not going to be easy like it once was. Like, you're about to have to work. It is going to be through painful toil and the sweat of your brow, and there are going to be obstacles. There is going to be thorns and thistles. So guys, without a doubt, Adam and Eve have learned that there are very real consequences for their actions. Uh, They have learned that sin does not come without a price. And uh, as we've also just affirmed, these curses are actually still existent today. So let's keep reading. Verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And then now we arrive at the verse that is almost always ignored. For whatever reason, most people just kind of skip right past this next verse. But by doing so, they are missing so much. Like this next verse is key to you understanding and seeing the gospel in the garden. Listen to verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Do you see it? Do you see the foreshadowing of Jesus? Like earlier in verse 7, we just talked about how Adam and Eve made their own coverings from fig leaves that they sewed together. Like they tried to cover their own shame. But in this verse, we see that that wasn't good enough. Like our efforts to fix our sin are never good enough. Instead, God had to sacrifice an animal to properly cover Adam and Eve. This covering, uh, their covering wasn't good enough, but God's covering is, right? Blood had to be spilled because of what they did. A life had to be taken, and only then could they be properly covered. Their fig leaves weren't good enough. And this absolutely points to the future sacrifice that Jesus would make on the cross for their sin and ours. This one verse shows us so much. 
This one verse shows us that our efforts to hide our sin and our shame are not good enough. They're not sufficient. This one verse shows us that blood has to be spilled. This one verse shows us that a life has to be taken. This one verse shows us that only God can properly cover our sin and shame. This one verse shows us the gospel in the garden. And this is your fifth point. God sacrificed an animal to properly cover Adam and Eve. This foreshadows the sacrifice of Jesus. So chapter 3 finishes with Adam and Eve being removed from the garden. Let me go ahead and read it for you and then we'll finish. Verse 22. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim, or angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And a lot of people read these final verses and they see it as further punishment for their actions because they've now been removed from the garden. But not only that, but there's now like angels blocking their way and there's a flaming sword kind of protecting uh, the tree of life. And listen, even though I agree that being removed from the, the Garden of Eden was definitely part of their punishment, let me suggest that it might have also been an act of mercy. Look again at verse 22. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And why is that important? It's important because if Adam and Eve, after they had uh, disobeyed and become sinners, if they would have reached out, if this, if this verse is what, saying what it's saying, it means that if they would have reached out and grabbed tr- uh, fruit from the tree of life and ate, they would have lived forever in their fallen state as rebellious sinners. And so by God removing them from the Garden of Eden and blocking their path to the tree of life with angels and a flaming sword, uh, God is actually, through an act of mercy, yeah, he's kicked them out of the garden as punishment, no doubt, but as an act of mercy, he is preventing them from living forever in their fallen state. Well, guys, listen, as we end our time together this morning, we've seen uh, five important things from our passage today. God gave clear instructions and he expected obedience. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and the rebellion allowed sin to enter the world. They tried to cover up their shame and even tried to hide. There were consequences for their rebellion that are still felt today. And God sacrificed an animal to properly cover Adam and Eve. And this foreshadows the sacrifice of Jesus. And guys, the truth is we can apply these exact same points to our lives as well. God has given us clear instructions too. It's called the Bible, and he expects obedience. However, we disobey God all the time, and our rebellion causes all sorts of problems. And just like Adam and Eve, we try too to cover up our shame and to hide from God. But as we just saw this morning, we can't hide, and there are consequences for our rebellion. And finally, we too must understand that our efforts to cover ourselves are wasted. There is nothing that we can do to make things right again. Our sin has separated us from a holy God and the only way that we can be right again is to allow God's sacrifice of His Son, Jesus, 
to properly cover us. To the believers in the room, listen, I hope that today is just an encouragement to you. Like, I hope that when you leave, that like you're excited about the fact that God is in control of all things and God is in control of your salvation, that he saved you from your sins, which was his plan from the beginning of time. And for the people in this room who are not believers, know this, guys, today that can change for you. Like, you no longer have to try to cover things up yourselves, and you no longer have to hide from God. Instead, you can receive forgiveness of your sins, and you too can become a follower of Jesus. If today you want to talk more about that, I'm going to be available. I'll kind of be hanging out kind of in this area right over here as soon as our uh, service concludes. I'd love the opportunity to start those conversations with you. You know, even if it's just the beginning of the conversation and we, you know, have to meet for a couple times for lunch or coffee just to kind of get that conversation started, man, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The band is going to come and they're going to uh, lead us in song so you guys can come on up. Thank you guys again for giving me the opportunity to share God's word with you today. Let's stand and sing. I hope that today that you have been able to see the gospel in the garden.